Moses starts out, Lord, you, you, Lord, have been our dwelling place in all generations. While Moses spent 40 days on Mount Sinai preparing to receive the Ten Commandments from the Lord, he was receiving a whole lot more. He was receiving all the instructions for tabernacle worship, incredible detail. I mean, reading through that in Exodus is amazing. The actual down-to-the-letter detail that God provided Moses in constructing this tabernacle and all of the articles that would be used by God's people to approach him and to worship him. But that's not all that he did. He also provided for Moses the book of Genesis and had Moses to write that. So Moses has this front row seat. When he says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations, this is the one who essentially sat at the foot of the Lord while the stories of the patriarchs were unfolded before him. Wouldn't you have liked to have been sitting around that campfire? When the stories of creation, of the fall, of the flood, of Lot, of Noah, of Abraham, were recounted to Moses so that he could write the book of Genesis. This is the man who writes at this point in the history of Israel, of God's people, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Israel had always been wanderers, sojourners. But like us, the saint's dwelling place has always been in God. He is and always has been our refuge. The scripture tells us in Philippians chapter 3, our citizenship is in heaven, and we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we say with Moses this morning, Lord, you have been our dwelling place. Moses goes on to say, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. This is hard for me to get, that God existed in eternity past as well as he exists in eternity future, that he always did and always will exist. Sometimes it's easier for me to think, you know, in endless ages going forward, we will be with the Lord. And for those who are trusting in Christ as the reason why God would count us righteous, it's true. But to look back and say God's always been in endless ages past is trippy. But it's true. And... He never changes. He will always rule and always be in control of all things. And 
he's able to secure us with himself in absolutely every possible way. He's not only eternal, he has no rivals. He has no equals. His steadfast love never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning from everlasting to everlasting. This is difficult because our life is defined by time. We have a beginning. We are mortal. Our lives are measured out. They're actually allotted. Our days are numbered, the Lord tells us. Psalm 139 tells us, All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Moses tells us, The span of our life will be 70 years, or if we have strength, 80 He himself lived to be 120. When I was a kid, there was this this old woman who was known as Grandma Moses because she was so old. I always thought she was kind of an imaginary character out there, but she actually existed. She was a painter, and she lived to be 101. But... In my house, if somebody was trying to make a point about how old something is, they would put it to Grandma Moses. Hey, is this this leftover still good? Oh, that was made by Grandma Moses. You don't want to eat that. (laughs) Today, the oldest living person is a Catholic nun, Sister Andre. She's 118 years old. As of last night, she was the oldest person in the Guinness Book of Records. But we all know those kind of years or anything approximating 70 or 80 are not promised to everyone. Some people don't even make it out of the womb alive. 30 years ago, I held in my palm of my hand my son Matthew, who died before... He was able to be born. God does not relate to time as we do. Moses tells us a thousand years in his sight are like a watch in the night. Basically four hours. Some say three hours. It's a military designation, the watch in the night. A thousand years in God's sight. Ah, basically the same as four hours. And Second Peter tells us a thousand years are like a day to the Lord. So we're talking figurative, not literal. There's no insight into a heavenly time piece uh, in these scriptures. We'll never have uh, an iPhone app in eternity that tells us, oh, wow, time on planet Earth time in this galaxy, time in heaven. God's outside of time. He's not limited by time. He doesn't exist in time like we do. 
He's not confined by it or by space. He's everywhere present always. Psalm 139 asks the rhetorical question, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to highest heaven, you're there. If I go to the deepest part of the ocean, you're there. So before James Cameron was in the Mariana Trench, know who was there? God, the Spirit, was there, is there. If we go to the farthest galaxies, there was a new galaxy discovered recently. It's called, right now it's called Candidate HD1. It's 13.5 billion light years away. That's trippy. <laughs> 13.5 billion light years away. You know, the speed of light is 186,000 miles a second. Imagine we could pull that off. If we could travel at the speed of light, 186,000 miles in a second, you know how far we'd go in a year? 5.88 trillion miles in one year. How long would we have to keep this speed up to get to the new galaxy? 13.5 billion years. I don't know what's out there, but I do know who's out there. God's out there. What else is there that presently we don't see? We should be comforted when Moses tells us that our lives end by the decree and command of God. Look at verse 3. Moses says, You return to dust. You return man to dust. You return man to dust. And say, Return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or a watch in the night. You sweep them away with a flood. They're like a dream. Moses did not say our deaths are the result of inevitable physical laws. And we should draw great comfort that our lives, whatever the number of days they will be, have been allotted by God and already determined by him before one of them began. And the day when we shed these bodies is also determined by God. And so it doesn't matter if it's planes crashing into a building or drunk drivers driving on the wrong side of the road. The scripture is clear that when the days of our lives finish, it is God who says, Return. Return to dust. It's from dust that he formed us, and it's to dust our physical bodies return. Not our spirits, though. 
He sweeps them away, Moses tells us. Without his command, Spurgeon says, no power of hell or scheme of man could cause our death. It should bring Christians great comfort. I know it brings me great comfort. I was to a, I know this sound, even hearing the words that are about to come out of my my mouth is always an out-of-body experience for me, but I was to a cardiologist recently. I actually have one. I actually have two. Who the heck wants any of them? I'll give you one of mine. I don't want this. I don't want these guys. It's it's always like, it's always, I always enter their offices in a dream state. Like, what am I doing here? Oh, I'm going to see my cardiologist. I'm thinking, are you crazy? You're crazy, right? And so recently, he went through the records of this thing that's actually implanted in my chest and records events in my heart and talks to a monitor that's in my house. And ah, it's, it's insane. I I just find it to be somebody else's story. I can't believe it's mine. So he reviews these things and he says, oh, here's what we determined. Here's what your heart's doing while you're sleeping. And this is what's happening here. And I'm sitting there and my eyes are getting bigger and bigger. Oh, but we're not worried. We won't be worried until we get to this point. And then perhaps we'll introduce this. And I'm thinking, are they, is there somebody else in this room? Are they talking to me? You've confused the medical record. Whose name's on that chart anyway, doctor? It should bring us great comfort to know that God has numbered our days. And that God and God himself is and will be the agent or ultimate cause of our death. Though the circumstances will vary for all of our death certificates, the cause, really, if we were completely honest, should be the same on everyone's. Returned to dust by the Lord Almighty. That's why Ed's not here. That's why Cindy's gone. Because they, the Lord has determined they've reached the fullness of their days. That should comfort you. It comforts me when I get back in my car and, and drive home in a semi-daze from appointments like that. Psalm 116 tells us, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. I remember preaching out of that text at one of my best friend's funerals. And it's great comfort to know that in the moment of our death, this is no simple accounting thing for God. Let's see, Joe McMullen died. Okay, Joe's died. All right. Uh, Cindy Lou Who. Oh, she's about to die. Died. Okay, Cindy Lou Who's dead. All right, so Joe's dead, Cindy Lou, who's dead? No, not for those of you in Christ. Your death is not simply an accounting matter to the Lord. When he returns, tells you, return to dust, 
It's with his full fatherly loving care that he regards that moment as precious in his sight. That should give you great comfort. So Moses says, teach us to number our days. Why don't we do that more? He says, teach us to number our days. You'll get a heart of wisdom. I think there's a few reasons why we don't We don't do that. We don't meditate on the brevity of life. And that's what the scripture is calling us to do, to meditate on the brevity of life. Now, actually, the scripture is calling us to meditate on the brevity of your life. Death is a universally understood reality that we tend to shy away from. We're dying and our days are flying away, but we rarely give serious thought beyond perhaps a, a, a cliche acknowledgement. If you were in my house growing up, like you would hear the things that I heard as a child, which is my father saying, ah, nothing certain but death and taxes. That was about as far as we got in my house for numbering our days. Oh, okay. All right, death and taxes. I think I got that. Or we make it abstract. You know, we, we hear of a tragedy or we leave the funeral of a neighbor and we say to one another, well, you know, nobody lives forever. And we don't get below that often. And I understand why that would be. Or we numb reality. I think of the Dave Matthews Band, their song Trippin' Billy's. Eat, drink, and be merry. For tomorrow, Dave fans, tomorrow we die. But it's not a song that causes us to count our days. It numbs us to the reality that that day is approaching, that our time here is indeed limited. Why do we need God to teach us to do something that you might think is so logical. I mean, after all, I know how many days are left. When I'm on vacation, I know how many days I got left before I got to be back at work. I know actually how many miles, generally, before my next oil change. Before I retired, I knew how many work shifts I had until my day off came around. You might know how many days you have until school starts. Some find meditating on these things depressing. (laughs) Maybe you're saying, "Uh, yeah, I'm there. But God's not trying to depress us. Moses is not trying to depress us. God is calling for sober-mindedness, not depressive reflection. There's nothing to fear in this meditation, for after all, he determines the length of our life and controls the moment of our death. Rightly understood, it's the opposite of morbidity. I'm a big fan of the uh, What About Bob movie. Do you remember that kid, Ziggy, the psychiatrist's son? He was a depressive character. 
Remember him? In the movie, he would always say things like, I'm going to die. You're going to die. We're all going to die. He'd be like, oh my gosh. This poor kid had a wacky psychiatrist for a father, and he was, he was not quite right uh, in every way. It's actually a very funny movie. What's God doing this for? Well, I believe God is calling for our attention to the rapidly passing opportunities to glorify him, to enjoy him, and to serve him in this life and to store up treasure in the next. God is calling us to discern his purpose and plan for creating us. And none of those things are depressing. Oh, so much more that could be said. Let's look at the example of Israel and their response to the law. Moses says, all of our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. Who considers the power of your anger or the wrath according to the fear of you? Those things are the cry of the soul that waited for and received the law of God only to discover that the law of God could not deliver them from the power of sin. As we said before, Moses even got off the mountain with the Ten Commandment tablets the first time. There was a golden calf and a new leader. We're saying, we're done with you and we're done with Yahweh. We're going in a new direction here today. Moses threw the law, the Ten Commandments, on the ground. From the get-go... Obedience to the rules did not deliver God's people, and they will never deliver God's people. Israel thought this was going to be the capstone moment. God, just tell us what you want and we'll do it. Let me know the borders. Let me know the boundaries. What's good? What's not? What's allowed? I want to obey. So just tell me the rules, and I'll obey. That's the backdrop and the purpose of the Ten Commandments. God said, great, here's the rules. And before his messenger even got back to the people with them, they basically said, I'm out of here with this. And then continued to disregard the rules and wouldn't even enter into the generational promise of deliverance into their own land. That's why Jesus Christ was given to us. Because he's the only one that lived a perfect life. He's the only one, commandment one, check, perfectly adhered to. 
without exception. Commandment two, three, four, lived a perfect life, a sinless life. And although we're aware of the physical torture on the cross, the real exchange that happened there was the wrath of God that Moses is speaking of here poured out on Christ instead of on us. So Joe, wow, like those Israelites, Joe, I'm, I'm going to have to I have to get you back in line. Oh, I've already exhausted to the full all of my wrath on my son. And legally now, let's see, Joe, you got his record of a perfect life. That's what being a Christian is. That's all the reasons that Christians will enjoy God forever, for eternity to come. And so, though I could say much more, I will simply leave you with this. If you have never understood that before, if that's never been explained in simplicity to you before, I plead with you to to consider that for a moment. Fifty years ago, in my high school stairwell, some kid that responded to the gospel the night before, yelled for me to wait up, shared the gospel, and I was supernaturally transformed into, into a Christian. I, thought I, had, I already thought I was a Christian. That was almost as big a shock as going to the cardiologist. <laughs> but in that moment, I understood something more than a tortured experience was served up in the person of Jesus Christ. He absorbed all the wrath of God for my sins, even the ones that I will commit tomorrow. His wrath is empty. The cup's been drinking dry. That's why Jesus said, it is finished. Let us pray. Father, we are often in a desert and a dry land. Lord, we are often thirsty and weary. But even when we're not, Lord, even when we're partying and living the good life, Lord, teach us to number our days so that we might find a heart of wisdom. And Father, I just pray for anyone who has never understood your call to them, what a Christian would be, how you make people righteous before you today and on the day of their death. Lord, that your spirit would brood over them from this moment forward until they count themselves numbered amongst your happy people, happy here and happy in eternity. In Jesus' name, amen.